everybody and welcome to Casual Cognition. We have a great one for you today. We did our second freeform episode where Hank and I just jump into things with no plan, which we have a ton of fun with and we hope you do too. Thanks as always for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. Hank and I have some exciting things coming up for the podcast, including the new Discord we just created. We're going to have some more details coming out for y'all about that real soon. And we also have some wonderful new guests coming out. So stick around and don't forget, we love you. Here we go, buddy. There we go. Welcome. (sighs) Welcome, one and all. To another fine day. To the podcast. <laughs> oh man, I, I really, I gotta say that I just love these episodes that we do where there's just no plan at all. Well, this is only the it's second just... one, but we have done like three other recordings like this. They were just unreleased mm. because the sound quality was dog shit. And uh, that, right. those, were, those were our demos to try and uh, feel out the the format and everything. Right. But yeah, they're really fun. Cuz it's, it's just like the way that we talk normally. Yeah, exactly. And and I I will say that the regular episodes are still very similar to our conversations, yeah. but they're just slightly more directed like we kind of yeah, choose in advance and then sometimes we do a little bit of research, but usually we just kind of let our subconscious work it out Mm -hmm. and then just go in and see what happens yeah and you know that's just as much for us as the listeners keep us organized to where we're not repeating the same shit every third episode right but yeah it is it is interesting to to uh like like we've kind of talked about you know this this has given us an opportunity to revisit a lot of the things that we've been talking about for years and kind of that we just take for granted mm-hmm. and then it's like oh yeah we actually have to explain who this person is or what this concept is or what this aspect of our lives is like we can't just like be like oh yeah and then uh so yeah i was i was doing some work on my eudaimonia machine and uh <laughs> it's like what well I've, I've noticed that you and i shorthand a lot of things when we talk to each other like you know the as above so below kind of thing like there's a lot of right. stuff that um when you when you get into a lot of similar subjects like we have um and talk about them for so long like it 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 makes the conversation more efficient for us to just kind of inside joke and symbolize, yeah, whatever, you know, you know what I'm saying? Abbreviate things basically. Yeah. And that's what I'm really excited about with our podcast because it's getting to the point where we can start doing that with our listeners. So for example, the glass bead game is an extremely obscure reference. That is an obscure reference. most people would have no idea what we're talking about, but the people who have been following along, like we can just throw in a, a like, yeah, just throw in, oh yeah, we're just playing the glass bead game here. Yeah, even if they haven't and read the book. E- exactly. And 
And I guess that's also, this is some, some feedback that I've gotten uh, about the podcast. One thing that's been very apparent and very appreciated is that we can take these ideas, I mean, something as obscure and intellectual as the glass bead game and like just make it something that's interesting and fun and that anybody can take part in and learn about and enjoy and it just it makes me really happy when i hear that feedback because that was one of our one of our goals when we started the podcast yeah. is like we want to make learning and exploring and being creative something that is approachable to everybody and something that's fun that we can all engage in with each other and so it's just amazing to hear from our listeners that that is actually that so far we have been uh doing a good job in that that's great and you know that makes me think of something that i've never really thought of before but um you know right right now in our in like the 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 first world and some of the um less developed countries are starting to go this way too um there's so many like online content creators there's so many like um people who are sort of making little snippets of inter entertainment online whether if it's mm. for something like what we're doing or it's an actual kind of creative project that they're doing or just for their friends and, and followers on Snapchat and Instagram and stuff like that um, and there's a lot mm. of people, thousands of people if not like tens or hundreds of thousands of people who are making like good entertaining stuff all over the place and it's the the people who love it the most are younger kids i mean you look at how many people have like you know 50,000 followers and the vast majority of them are like 12 and 13 years old somebody like mm. um what's that what's that goofball's name um the blonde guy logan paul or something like that you know, he just makes these, like, goofy, simple-minded videos, and kids just eat it up. They love it. Um, yeah. And the, he's a bad example of what I'm talking of, of what I would be talking about, because I think he's kind of irresponsible. But it seems like there mm -hmm. might be a way to sort of integrate this, because there's so many people doing that, and there's so many people who want to like want more of that kind of content even though there's just a, an unbelievable amount on the internet and who enjoy it who dig it especially kids what if we were to sort of integrate that into the education system somewhat because right now i think one of the biggest problems in the education is like the connection between the teacher and the child and we're trying to figure yeah. out okay well how many kids is good um which actually We'll mention something about classroom size in a minute. Um, but like the ability for the teacher to make something interesting, even though somebody is like extremely knowledgeable in, in something doesn't mean it's going they're going to be able to make it interesting. And that's like a performance. That's an entertainment kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a, a college professor. It's like storytelling. Yeah, almost. yeah. It, it, that's a good way to put it. If you're a college professor, you're expected to be less entertaining. But even then, like, if you want to be a good college professor, you, you can't, like, bore your students to death. 
So mm. I think that there could be a, a place in society for um, entertainment and education to uh, take more or uh, do more collaboration with each other and um, try and capture the attention spans of children better and make learning more of a, an exciting thing because I fucking hated like not even learning because I wouldn't even consider it learning most of the time I hated everything about not everything about it you know you know I'm exaggerating but I just hated so much about the actual education part of school and the biggest Dude. example was entertaining teachers yeah or biggest the uh, exception so funny, right the the thing that's so funny about this is uh so you you prefaced this little mini rant uh with the phrase that you hadn't thought about this before yeah and the funniest thing about this is uh you you didn't know this but you literally yesterday i had two conversations with two of my friends about exactly what you're talking about really and and how we could yeah yeah so because it started with this is actually super interesting because it's this is all connected to the podcast actually so like what you're talking about is exactly what is like part of our vision although it hasn't been specifically geared towards the education system yeah. like this is kind of more of a it's educational uh, but it's unconventional outside of the formal education system exactly and it's like it's like a, um it's directed by the community yeah. so it's not like somebody at the top decides mm -hmm. i mean we right right now like we've been deciding a lot of the a lot of the topics but we've we've been getting you know listeners hitting us up and asking us to to explore different ideas so it's like it's a really a community driven thing it will be more. but uh yeah and hopefully more so more and more as we gain more listeners and and you who have already been listening uh gain the courage to <laughs> hit us up and share what you're thinking about and what you've been working on and uh yeah but we we've been hounding you enough about that so i'll just let your own guilt and shame drive you to eventually do it <laughs> uh however i uh, i realize now that i've i've uh gone on a little bit of a tangent so yeah the, but the the idea is um so you know we i was talking with two of my friends one of them uh and we're gonna i'm gonna we're gonna have him on the show vagar he we've we've created this really interesting like meta visualization for our explorative dialogue so like a way of, so of visualizing words. yeah i'm i'm going to break that down so it's it's a way of 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 visualizing how the conversation is moving and how the different topics are connected so like you could think about it as uh i i think about it and this kind of changes 
but there's a lot of different ways to think about it. Like some people think about it like a tree. Some people could think about it as like a library where you have different sections of the library and different books within those sections. I like to think about on like a cosmic perspective, like spheres. So you have these celestial bodies, you have these like big ideas, and then you have other ideas that are kind of connected and orbiting around this bigger idea. And he was talking about how like, so, uh, and what we've been doing with the podcast is we've been like opening up these, these different worlds, right? Where it's like, okay, yeah, here's this world, we're gonna come back to it, but like, here's this, this idea, and then we have these other things, and then over time, like we, were, uh, the idea would be to build an actual virtual space uh, that you can access through your computer or through virtual reality, ah. where you can explore these different worlds, and then and it's a and it's a community-driven thing, so that so people can make their own connections to different worlds. So like you can make a space station that has certain connections to other worlds. Uh, and then you can like see how everything is connected in this astrological uh, sense, and then and then and then the next idea from there was basically doing the same thing except working with the education system, working with different book publishers, mm -hmm. and like turning their their content in there. You know, because because all of these school programs like they follow these books, they they buy textbooks yeah. and they follow the curriculum from the book so it would be like working with publishers to bring those concepts into the virtual gotcha. world and then it's like and then think about this this is this was one thing that i thought of that just blew my mind completely it was like okay so now it let's say this is realized it's obviously a huge really ambitious project but let's say this is realized now you're a teacher and you can literally go into VR with your students, go on the magic school bus, okay? <laughs> literally, you're in there and you're like, all right, we're going to get shrunk down to the width of a human <laughs> hair. And then you get shrunk down and then you go into the human body oh, and you can explore man. all the different organs and all the things that are going on in there. Because a deep-seated like, goal to become Miss Frizzle. Yes, 100%. 100%. It w like, give me 20 years. <laughs> well, I, I, it's really not like a... I mean, there's parts of it that are a little pipe dreamy, but um, Timmy, another person who we'll have on as a guest and uh, who's been really helping us out with some cool stuff, um, he does our little YouTube visualizations for those little videos. But he works in VR. And so, you know, there's, there's a... And, Vagar, uh, um, isn't isn't he some kind of? Um, he's a teacher. Yeah, so he's an educator. He teaches second grade. Yeah, and so you know we we do have some some connections that would be in the in line with this, and um, you know technology around those things is getting better really fast. And you yeah. look at uh, video gaming technology. You look at the <laughs> Warcraft 3 came out in the early aughts, like 2001 or 2 or something like that. So you look at Warcraft 3 or, you know, Starcraft 1 or something like that. Um, 
going all Blizzard here, you know. But World of Warcraft, you know, a few years later. Um, but, like, the, the sort of graphics and the abilities of the game and everything. And then you look at modern gaming, and it's, like, almost indistinguishable. Like, you know, you look at, yeah. you look at like, an orc grunt from Warcraft, like his facial animations and the way he would just, like, mm. whack somebody with his axe. And then look at even a stylized game like League of Legends where, you know, there's the animations are really smooth and unique and there's all sorts of different, like, like color stylizations. It's It looks really 3D. You know, it, the even like the the not so good graphics are still way better and everything's really smooth um i haven't really done a, any vr stuff yet but i've heard that it has come a really long way from just a few years ago when the uh HTC yeah. Vive first came out or whatever it was or no the Oculus Rift that was the first one um hmm. Yeah, it's actually, just as a quick uh, interjection here, a huge part of the reason why it's gotten so much better is, at least in my understanding, is uh, is actually the interface. So initially, if you wanted to make a game, like you literally have to program the game, like the uh -huh. games in. And that's that's how it was for a long time, especially in the very early days. But now it's been getting more and more where you have this like, you have this interface mm. where you can create everything visually and the code is happening in the back. It's happening in the background. So you don't have to like be a programmer necessarily. I mean, of course there are certain aspects where you do need to know programming, but a lot of the like the artistic parts of it, you can do like in, in this interface where you can just draw things and and try different things out basically. And that's like, uh, for example, in VR, I forget what it's called. Timmy was telling me about it, but there's one potential option that we can use. I, th I think it's called VR Chat, but there's one option where that's one where we can build our own uh, world. So we can build our virtual studio and we can build a glass bead game chamber. Ooh, that'd and be cool. like we can do all of that without having to do any programming, as far as I know. I would have so much fun. Uh, building a big cathedral where we played the glass bead game so i don't yeah. know if you remember i think um i think uh if i'm remembering right they have like a, a sort of display behind them where various symbols are shown and those symbols are representative of different themes in the game um mm. there's all sorts of fun fun ways you <laughs> build a big round table with the the uh the yeah. master of the game on a slightly raised dais, dais, whatever you, know, you spell that word. Give him a big fancy yeah. hat. That would be super yeah. I fun. can I can see it, and and so and this is actually something that I kind of uncovered talking with Vegar the other day. Is so like we've been playing the glass bead game, right? Mm. But the thing that's missing from it is that we're staying in the verbal realm so we're, we're you know we can explore a theme through philosophy or through psychology or through yeah um you know m mathematics or or whatever 
But the thing that I feel that is really missing, which we could do in virtual space, is like, is the these other modalities like music or like the the classic one that I that I love to think about is like, uh, yeah, like you could you know you could you could you could bring up a chess position that elucidates ah. the the theme. Right, like a like a the the per I I was talking with Vegar about this uh the, this idea of tension and release, mm -hmm. right? So you could even you could even go like starting with yin yang, and then specifying a certain aspect of yin yang, which is the, this idea of tension and release, and then I could play, I could um play a a piece of music on the guitar. Uh, illustrating that theme showing how to like building tension and then releasing it and then you could bring forth a like a really closed chess position where like all of these pawns are attacking each other mm -hmm. and all of these different pieces are like they're just ready to go you have so much tension and then you show all of the different moves that like where you trade all the pieces and then it's like released uh, and then like and, yeah exactly and then you can uh yeah you could you could do that in uh, you could show like cellular activity and how i mean dude it, it, like there's a ton of and different that's ways well, that's that. there's so many different ways to do it and that's where the the vr space becomes extremely powerful because you can bring up all of that stuff i mean i i we really don't know how this is gonna work but i'm really really stoked to start exploring in there and see uh, see what we can do because it really is I mean people are just getting more and more ingrained into technology so for us it seems like oh well you know for for the longest time I thought like yeah VR is really cool but it's also so niche like not that many people use it and that it still is the case yeah. but it's becoming more and more used and, it, and what I realized yeah. is it's it reduce it drastically reduces the resources required for learning of course the headset itself right now kind of expensive but think about it like you can learn carpentry in virtual reality yeah of course it's it's, it's maybe not going to be like exactly the same but so like you can in, learn in principles one thing about that i that i am very sorry to cut you off you can finish your thought and if you want i can uh take this up yeah i mean just to just to finish off is like yeah i mean and i know i kind of know, know where you're coming from like it's obviously not going to be exactly the same but you can you can learn so much about the principles of carpentry and about uh doing surgery and i mean there's uh, there's so many different things where it's like oh i can learn how to do surgery and what's important to think about and where to focus and where everything is without having to have a body like yeah. you know oh they're doing and without yeah, having to kill people military already on with various things yeah um but i was just gonna say that the thing with the carpentry that's a perfect example of how um the technology will improve as uh, yeah. as we go down the line because what would really require you to get a good feel for things is like good haptic feedback on that like really strong yeah. haptic feedback and you'd almost need yeah. some kind of like rig or something 
because you'd need to feel like tension and and struggle in your wrist and in your arm and feel how mm. to like use the tool without pushing it and things like that. Um, mm. And that will be um, better and better down the road. I have no doubt that they'll improve things beyond what we can imagine now. So we just kind of got to be patient before we can do everything that that would be cool to do in VR. But I think that that's really all it is. Like VR is going to be one of the big next stages of our sort of technological integration, cultural integration. Mm. And I think that this is one of the ways that it's going to be. And people think about people think about gaming a lot in these sort of spaces because yeah, that was kind of previously there's there's only a a few cultural applications to like vast amounts of processor power processing power and one of the ones besides gaming has been like the the weird little visual quirks so like on snapchat you can do like the the algorithmic dog face where it just like you point it at your face and it changes the proportions of your face automatically and puts dog ears on you and puts a little tongue on you and stuff like that takes a shitload yeah. of processing power for a little phone to do. And so there's there's like examples of of how we've we've used some of that technological advancement culturally, but the primary one has been through video gaming and like um visual recording and editing. Mm. And um the next one cuz like like with education with most educational stuff you don't need like a ton of processing power for most of the the applications that you would use for education you know for your web browsers and your um you know all all the, like ALS things like that you know like virtual education programs they don't require a ton of uh like a real beefy computer most of the time but if you get VR into the education space that's a whole new way for our society to integrate with like the top of the line computing technology that I think we haven't really taken advantage of that much in the education space mm. so you know yeah. I think if, if you kind of look at the way that we've integrated technology over the past like century and a half it's it's accelerated um just like the pace with of technology so there was a long time where radio was a big thing and you know that was the thing and even when tvs came along it was like radio was still a big deal for quite a while and then tvs mm. were the big thing for a long time both of them were big things for a long time decades and then you get to, you know, the first personal computers that people could just bring home and just do random shit on. You know, that was uh, that was in probably the 80s. Yeah, I think it was like early, early 90s, because yeah. I think in the 80s, they were still pretty sizable. Yeah. Like it would be more for like organizational yeah, purposes yeah. than like an actual home computer. And you'd still be like on the cutting edge of technology if you had a fucking personal computer in the 80s. So... Oh, yeah. I remember, I remember reading about Bill Gates's 
um, initial like practice and programming and and the computer that he worked on was a room there was a fucking room set up for it and uh literally a series of tubes (laughs) yeah literally (laughs) um but you know the 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 first personal computers 10 years later were pretty fucking good you look at 1989 versus 1999 in 99 you know, I had a fucking personal computer in my house that you could work on and you could go on the internet with. And mm. 10 years later in 2009, you've got social media networks and smart the first smartphones coming out. Mm. 10 years later, now you almost can't not have a smartphone and operate in the normal economy. Um there's there's exceptions to that of course, but most people have a smartphone that are you know working people it's a lot of jobs that i've had have like apps and stuff that you have to run on i have an app, i have a construction app on my phone and mm. so it's it's like really integrated in the past 10 years and so now i don't think it's going to take that long for um virtual reality to start getting really heavily integrated um, oh yeah. The only the only uh, yeah, I mean, barrier if... I could see is like the uncanny valley principle, where it kind of creeps people out a little bit. Yeah, but I mean, it's dude, everything's moving so fast. Like like you were kind of mentioning, and I kind of wanted to stretch it back a little bit further because before <laughs> the computer, like, uh, you had maybe let's see, like. I'm trying to think. Yeah, like, uh, when was that? Yeah, basically like 80, 80 years or so, like before the computer, like the car was like, whoa, holy shit. Yeah. We got cars. And then like before that, for like thousands of years, it was the horse. Like that was the big that was the like big thing that changed the game. Like a chariot. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> like chariots uh, were a big fucking deal for a while. Yeah, and all, I mean, yeah, in terms of warfare for sure. But I mean, the horse itself, like, just in terms of transportation, in terms mm-hmm. of agriculture, in terms of like food yeah. and uh, horses, camels, llamas, domesticated yeah. uh, carrying animals like that. Yeah, yeah, that was a huge deal. But before that, it yeah, was like a strap like... on the forehead or something. Yeah. And that was a big fucking deal it... when they figured out, you know, some little strap that made made carrying easier. And they probably used that for 50,000 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's crazy because now it's like computers. Oh, shit. And now it's all smartphones. Holy shit. Okay. Cryptocurrency. Fucking virtual reality. Like shit's just expl- <laughs> shit's going so fast. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, we can't keep up with it easily. It all I, I don't even I'm just going to drop the easily. We can't keep up with it at all. Yeah, that's just the nature of like I'm already starting to in certain cases just feel like an old man. Oh yeah, totally. Someone's like, "Oh, yeah, you should get a TikTok." I'm like I mean, I have a clock on my phone. Like, <laughs> what, what, <laughs> is this some kind of new lingo retarded. that kids are using TikTok? these days? <laughs> 
You mean a clock? Oh, you mean a clock. <laughs> oh, you mean like an analog clock. Yeah, that would be cool. No, it's like a fucking, yeah, some kind of yeah. new social media platform. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm just an old man. Yeah, Alex has been telling me that, that we need to get a TikTok. And I was like, look, Alex, Hank and I are getting up there in the years. We're already trying <laughs> to learn Instagram and Twitter. You're gonna overwhelm our our, uh, our dusty old brains, <laughs> and but that's 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 the funny thing is that like I've been thinking about this because I've I've heard that a lot, like the I feel old kind of thing, and I've been feeling that way for a while, and I feel like I'm a little bit more analog than um, my generation for the most part. You are too, um, you know. Yeah. We're not quite as into the social media networks. We're, probably a little slow on the smartphone uptake and the apps and and you know it, it's just i'm slow on that kind of stuff and i'm uh, i'm stubborn to change i was fucking pissed when they got rid of my last button on the screen on the like the a couple of iphone iterations ago um yeah i like to <laughs> click something with my thumb i like the feeling of a goddamn button but yeah like If you look at, um, you know, Alex, who is 22, um, or who's about, who's, yeah, just turned 22, um, she knows way more about, like, the social media networks than I do, and way more about, like, apps and how to, like, operate her smartphone, how to, like, actually use the interface. And there's, since we've been dating, there's been, like, a bunch of times when she was like, why don't you just do this? And, like, does something on the phone. I'm like, wow, I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> and uh, I think it's, I, I hear all the time from people around me who are my age, and I've even started to hear it some from people who are her age, of like the, oh, I feel old, I feel old thing. And I think um, adults kind of take it as, oh, well, they're just kind of coming into the the feel of responsibility and adulthood and they're feeling old because they're they're old compared to their child selves and to me it's like no i feel old because i'm already starting to not understand the world around me and when mm. when i bet you if you went back and talked to a 25 year old from the 60s they didn't feel old they felt really young and that and the the youth youth was like celebrated, especially in the eighties. Youth was really celebrated. If you were in your fucking twenties, you're on top of the world. You were an ass kicking young person. The sixties through the eighties. Yeah, now you're automatically a piece of yeah. shit if you're a young person. <laughs> now you're a millennial and you're killing everything if you're in your twenties. Um But yeah, it's like I, I am I'm having a hard time catching up to the world around me. And there's a lot of times when I don't understand what's going on because like I'm, I'm just out of the loop I'm a little behind and that makes me feel old because mm. society is like marching on and before it was just kind of like a casual stroll that everybody could keep up with and now it's like a fucking sprint that only the, the fastest um, technological upkeepers can can stay along with the uh, with the front of the pack and then they have to sort of yeah, trickle dude, down all their info through YouTube videos and shit. Yeah, I mean, dude, if we if we go to the ancestral perspective, like 
for 99.99% of our history, things were just the exact same as they were. Like the knowledge that our that the elders passed down was perfectly valid because nothing changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, of course, things change, but like in general, you're just dealing with the cosmic forces, you're dealing with uh, the seasonal changes, you're dealing with these basic survival needs. And yeah, for the longest time, like these technological advancements, they they didn't really, you know, you would have like this one one crazy advancement that would come and everybody would be mind blown and then you would be good on that for a couple thousand years. Yeah, like you invent a bag. Yeah, you're like, holy shit, I, I realized that I can use the these reeds. Of this animal <laughs> and dry it up and it makes a nice bag. And I can carry shit in the bag and watch this. If I take if I leave some of the intestine attached, it's a little strap I can put over my shoulder. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean yeah, I wonder this is actually interesting from an anthropo- anthropological perspective. Like because I, I would think that the first bags were like woven like made out of possible uh different plant fibers i know there's both of them like both of them have existed like woven baskets and stomach bags yeah and hide hide sacks too but maybe the maybe the stomach bag was first because i feel like it takes less to figure out because it's like oh yeah this is the bag that holds all the food what if i just put my food in the bag instead (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> won't be needing this anymore big guy <laughs> oh boy uh, I love that it's actually it's funny because I'm sure for some people it's like an extremely there's an extremely gruesome like picture in their head but for me it's like this very cartoony <laughs> like caveman dude like shwoop like it, <laughs> oh, the wife was asking for a new purse for her for uh, Stones Day. Oh man, that was the best best you could come up with. Oh no, dude! I was gonna for uh, Stones Day. The turning of the sundial. Dude, Stones Day is every Stones. day, man. <laughs> no, it's at least back then. Oh man, I was gonna joke that the, the technology before all that was just a rock hitting th- something with it. Which chimpanzees are apparently doing. They're apparently starting to, like... I don't know if it's starting or we're just starting to observe it, but they're, like, using tools, like, really basic Stone Age tools, like chimpanzees, orangutans, and, like, really smart primates. Yeah. But it's also... I guess it's slightly different because uh, they're just, like, using stone tools but they're not like making the tools whereas in the stone age it would be like yeah we'll sharpen we'll chip this rock so that it becomes really sharp and then attach it to a stick i think i think the thought is that like they might not be attaching them to sticks but they are making like some simple tools like refining tools i know orangutans mm. do stuff like that um, Dude, I love orangutans. Yeah, they're, they're my favorite. Such strange and beautiful they're creatures. They're my favorite animal. Um, but monkeys in general are my favorites, but 
um, monkeys and apes. I, uh, I've had some arguments about the term monkey, but a, a, a gal who researches primates, apes and primates and such told me that it is referring to a specific class of primates. So I guess I have to say monkeys and apes. Right. Because yeah, I read yeah. somewhere that monkey was a non-scientific term. So you could kind of call anything a monkey, kind of like a um, like the word vegetable isn't necessarily like a classification, but fruit is mm. like a fruit is a specific thing. But you could call you could call like a leaf of spinach a vegetable and you could call, you know, you could call a fucking cucumber a vegetable if you wanted to. It's just kind of like mm-hmm. a general term. It probably has some kind of specific term, but in linguic linguistic use it's it's not as specific as fruit so that's what i thought about with monkey Mm. and ape but apparently i was wrong which upsets me because i love the word monkey oh because a monkey's specific classification like that doesn't include the orangutan or but does it include lemurs though i don't think so i think lemurs are technically marsupials aren't they well they're definitely primates okay well maybe i'm wrong I don't know. There's actually a really cool... Um, I guess I need to brush up on my taxonomy. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a really cool there's a really cool story uh, from Madagascar where... The movie? Well, there <laughs> is a there is a there is a documentary uh what's it called? I don't know. There's a really cool documentary narrated by Morgan Freeman uh, that's about the lemurs of madagascar and they have this this like ancient story where there are these two lemur brothers uh and like one of them decided to leave the forest and like enter the the plains and that was the progenitor of the human species yeah and the one that stayed behind like in the in the forest or in the jungle like stayed though that's our cousins yeah. the lemurs and i'm pretty sure there actually is uh some pretty significant evidence that we did descend from lemurs really yeah and uh i'm just going to take this as a quick reminder or like possibly an evolutionary ev- ancestor of the modern lemur yeah, or like one, yeah, certain certain kind of lemur because there's a bunch of yeah. different kinds. But I'm just gonna take this opportunity to remind everybody listening that Nate and I have no idea what <laughs> we're talking about, and you can't take anything that we say for granted. You have to, like, you you have if you really want to know if anything that we've said, like, you gotta you gotta do yeah, your you gotta, own you gotta double check it before you quote us as fact for sure. But that's part of the fun yeah, of having I try a to podcast. Be... You know, if we just like constantly fact checked ourselves and had like perfect information, it would take way too much time. We wouldn't be able to get it out every week. It'd be more more boring. It's just not not really what we do. Yeah, well, I don't think it would necessarily be more boring depending on the format. But yeah, given that it's just you and I, um, you know, we would have to spend a lot more time on research and and of course we still do that anyway. So. Yeah, I mean, we. I think we're pretty clear when, and maybe not always, but like, yeah, sometimes we're pretty certain about what we're saying, 
but again like yeah i mean this is kind of a this is kind of a tangent but uh i think it's good to just check in a little while uh, or every once in a while and remind ourselves and our listeners that like we we are just uh just two guys yapping intellectual explorers <laughs> and you're a lot uh, more generous with it than i was um yeah well with that just two guys yapping with that uh with that public service announcement out of the way uh get back to bro science <laughs> lemurs i I, th- I think yeah so yeah the idea was that we actually descended from lemurs and i remember another part of that that i found very interesting was they had this hypothesis where uh because the the reason why lemurs uh have been so successful on madagascar is because there's no predators ah so you think they're an and invasive they, species well actually they have a hypothesis where uh and this is like pretty insane but it's totally possible that uh there was like <laughs> there was a storm that like blew a I don't know how how this could even be possible but like a storm that just wrecked huge swaths of the forest and that there were lemurs on those trees that floated over to Madagascar so this is from mainland ah. Africa and then they floated over across the channel uh, to Madagascar, and then they just came to this island where there were no predators, and they flourished. I mean, it does seem strange. Now they're getting fucked by humans, yeah, of, course. of course. It does seem strange that you would have something as large as a lemur and not have any predators, especially on a closed yeah. chain like that, or a fairly yeah. closed chain like that on an island. Um. I'm sure there's examples of it in places, but that just seems a little, little, little suspect to me. Yeah, it's not, it's not very common. Yeah. And I guess the idea is like that was a long ass time yeah. ago, and maybe Madagascar was like closer yeah. to mainland Africa because I'm pretty sure it it's broke like off, didn't it? Really far. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the the Pangaea idea, yeah. it definitely. I'm pretty sure it used to be a part of of africa and like the whole obviously the whole uh land mass did you hear uh chris ryan's or maybe it was during i'm pretty sure it was during the jeff leach episode but it was one of them who told a story about the uh the guy who just like walked across madagascar um some i don't remember that years back um he just decided to sort of backpack across madagascar and he met all these like tribesmen and the this was years ago i think it was like pretty early um and i could be getting the location wrong but i'm almost positive it was madagascar because it was an island Mm. and i just didn't know before this that humans were on there i had always heard it was uninhabited but (laughs) they just meant uninhabited by non-indigenous folks um but the the gist of the story that I thought was fun and interesting was that he would roll into these villages and being a like an outsider um, and like a traveler, the villages were really stoked about it. They thought it was like a good omen for, for to be visited by this traveler. And mm. 
apparently one of the one of the most common things is like like not just the women but like the village would try to get him to have sex with one of the women because that was like oh, a yeah. further like good omen if he if he banged one of their women right. so like the whole village yeah. would try they try to get like their most appealing woman and be like please have her dude and it wasn't some okay, like weird this... sex trafficking thing like the woman wanted to have sex with him too they're very yeah so okay this is this is this is super interesting because I that was actually I I remember that from I think it was from the the Jeff Leach episode and what's so fascinating about this so so there's this cultural meme that there's this there's this idea that like like you said that like it's a good omen to have people from outside and to yeah this idea of like encouraging their uh fertile women to to like try to procreate and and maybe they have some really cool story Mm -hmm. or like myth about it and it wouldn't surprise me at all but it's so fascinating the way because because that mixes up the gene you know from a biological Mm -hmm. standpoint exactly it's introducing uh new genes into into the the tribe and it's actually uh yeah it's it's like a it's a very sustainable obviously you know there there can be issues with like disease and stuff but there yeah you you need to have you need to have uh genetic diversity uh to kind of because otherwise you end up just yeah you end up having like this like you start getting inbreeding and then you you uh can run into some problems yeah, there yeah well the thing that surprised me about that to me as well is there's all there's this there's this trope of like indigenous populations being extremely hostile to outsiders and there are examples of that Mm. that island and i think it's the pacific or something that is still pretty much uncontacted that they just murder anybody who comes ashore well that's actually because they got really yeah. fucked. Like they they allowed people to come, and they were very welcoming yeah. to them. At least this is my understanding. And then they got really sick. They yeah. got some. They brought some kind of uh, the the European yeah. brought some kind of disease that completely decimated the population. So now, yeah, there's like a meme that it's like, oh, they're the the white. Yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's basically like, yeah, those people are dangerous. And then that really interesting. And then that kid went there. The young kid thinking he was going to spread... Yeah, the missionary. Thinking he was going to spread the good word there, and they fucking speared him. Um, probably yeah. cooked him up. So dumb. Um, but, yeah, like, there's countless examples of explorers coming into indigenous populations and them being 100% welcoming, totally, like, generous and kind. And um, it drives me crazy to see this sort of this uh this this trope in our um our sort of storytelling especially whenever i was a oh, kid yeah, where dude, you know so you <laughs> you've got the uh the character walking around in the jungle it's happened a lot in cartoons and suddenly there's these like mask wearing spear wielding natives around going blah, 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 blah. and then they like carry him yeah. back on a stick and start cooking him and they're going to roast him yeah, up yeah and and it, when in and reality the vast majority of the um, 
like the then modern world coming into contact with the ancient hunter-gatherer world that was still existent it, it, it was super positive from the perspective of the uh, of the European or the the explorer from wherever coming into the indigenous population like they were really really kind to them and there's all, uh, uh, just as many examples of the explorers or, or um, contactors fucking them over intentionally or unintentionally and yeah um it made me made me also think about how like the, i don't know about the accuracy of this anthropologically but i know chris ryan's talked about this um it seems like it wouldn't be that common for tribes to actually like fight each other and if like like think about it in the context of okay well there's no modern world we're back you know 100,000 years ago it's nothing but hunter gatherer tribes um if you, t- you sort of extrapolate that attitude back then if somebody if like a visitor came from another tribe or something they're probably super cool and you know every, everything was probably pretty on the level and it was probably not unless in, in there was some sort of disrespect or maybe some kind of omen or something like that, that there was like actual conflict between tribes. And I know uh, Chris Ryan's talked about how like actual tribal warfare was extremely rare and very um, uh, not the same sort of thing as, as what we would consider to be war. And uh, hmm. the even through like the agricultural revolution for a lot of uh, a lot of cultures um it, it conflict wasn't what we think of it is today um i remember listening to that podcast i sent you fall of civilizations and I, I think it was the one in the aztecs um is either aztecs or the mayans and they they had two different kinds of war and the normal war was like what we you, what you would expect for war like or or for um not what you would expect for war sorry the second one is what would you expect for war and they call it they called it star war (laughs) so they they had star wars and that was kind of like the actual war war where they they went out and tried to fucking kill a lot of people and and fuck up your your town and do that the the other war was like ceremonial in nature and usually there would be a few warriors that they would either kill or capture and take back and that would be like the winner of the battle but there wouldn't be like mass casualties they wouldn't go and like they might take some of your grain or something but they're not going to like destroy your village and kill everybody that was actually right. like really rare as far as um like the span of the culture was yeah i think that's you know that's going to be a huge factor there is just it's just competition right so there's certain areas where there's just no tribal warfare at all because there's so many resources that there's just no reason like there's because what people don't realize is like i mean and this is the same for any other animal is it's 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 all about like the risk reward yeah right so if you're if you're in a place where you have plenty of resources you don't have a lot of competition and you like see somebody from another tribe are you gonna risk your life to try to kill that person if you're 
if they're not causing you a problem at all it doesn't make yeah. any sense no no animal would do that and it's just from a survival standpoint it's just completely out like not even within the realm of possibilities because it doesn't make any sense if you're starving and that guy has a you know a lamb he's carrying a kill back or whatever from you know a deer or something then maybe but i bet i uh, bet you like, the, that the tribe that was starving would ask the tribe that was that had plentiful food first before they tried to fucking steal it that's a that's an interesting idea i i have no idea i think really there's so there's just too much um diversity in in like yeah, cultural memes true. and like how because there's certain tribes that like i mean we know this um you know in terms of native american tribes like there were certain tribes that were just they were warlike that was that was part of their their nature they that was a big part of their culture was war uh and granted that wasn't most of the tribes that wasn't uh but but some of them and and so i think that's that's a huge part that like like we can't just throw all ancient tribal societies into one category no, because not. i mean they were as diverse as our cultures are today that's true although i will say with the native americans most of those were not like act like true hunter-gatherer tribes they were like planting food and still had like various um they had they, they, it was teepees but a lot of them had permanent settlements and yeah that's true i mean the, yeah there the was a lot of were more developed in that way as well. tended to be more warlike so the true like nomadic mm. ones tended to be a lot more peaceful um which makes sense yeah. Yeah, cause they, they because they because if lot you're more staying food. in one place, you start to deplete your resources, yeah. and then you have more of a need to yeah, uh, and 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 it's also more important that you don't allow other people to take resources from your territory. Yeah, yeah you've got to get territory. But if you're always moving around, then it's like oh, okay, well, there's already people here, so we'll just keep on moving down the line where there's more yeah, yeah, water and I don't know yeah that. I always uh, like to challenge the um, the perception that human beings are naturally violent or naturally um, um, out of control, you know, amoral. We'll we'll sort of do anything as long as it gets us ahead. And um, I, I hate that perception because, as we've talked about a lot on here, it's not that it's it's not because we're humans that we're like that. It's because we're in a really fucked up environment. And if you take any kind of peaceful animal and you fuck up its environment enough and stress it out enough, it's going to start acting er erratically. And some, some of some yeah. members of that species and when put in that situation will start to act violently. So I see most of humans, bad behavior, like really bad behavior. You know, if you, tell a little fib here and there you, you might not want to read so much into it but most of humans bad behavior like large-scale war exploitation mass exploitation of resources and humans and um uh you know the, the the horrible way we treat animals and factory farming things like that like it 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 doesn't come down to our human nature it comes down to our skewed environment 
Yeah, and I mean, it's also like, to be fair, like it's just one side of the coin because we are selfish and violent and aggressive and fucking pieces of shit, but we're also compassionate and loving and caring and beautiful. And it's like, and we've decided that one side is good and the other side is evil. And that's that's probably a good thing because we don't want people to be uh, killing each other and stealing shit. And like, so that's great that we're de-incentivizing that. But we, 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 we just can't, like, there's no way... We can't pretend that we're not um, born uh, in in darkness and light. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's there's no way that we can separate ourselves from the fundamental forces of the universe. It's just uh, it's just how we channel that energy and how we how we allow ourselves to react. It's it's our actions, right? So I can feel very pissed off and uh you know i can be in a rage but how am i going to act right i can decide that you know what i'm not gonna punch this person in the face i'm going to just take a deep breath and try to feel into my body and try to understand where this is coming from uh and like, yeah, there's no, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that because, because there's also a danger in like pretending that we're all good and that we're all naturally the other thing. Like we're, we're just potential, right? And depending on the circumstances, different, um, behaviors will manifest. Uh, so, so that's kind of, my take on it i guess have you ever heard of the concept of allostasis mm, or possibly the more common one homeostasis yes oh did i lose you there no i'm here oh there you go yeah homeostasis so it's like the the balance point of the different biological systems of the body or you can actually use that term for in ecology and in other fields as well but yeah why am i having such bad service um so essentially why i was asking you that is that um allostasis is the the sort of um expanded concept of homeostasis where homeostasis establishes a sort of baseline for various biological processes and levels, allostasis kind of um, makes it situational. Like you'll be, you'll have different homeostatic levels in different situations and at different times of the day and things like that. Right. So they're, they're right. essentially the same concept, just allostasis is a little bit more expounded upon. And this isn't like a totally accepted um theory uh it's we know so there's so much ambiguity on our knowledge of the human body that it's hard to say for certain if this is the case but it makes a lot of common sense and it's used in a lot in a lot of a uh, um kind of thought about how the the body works 
but the easy way to think about it would be like okay you're supposed to have like a certain amount of white blood cells in your bloodstream white blood cells and red blood cells if you have too many of one or too few of another then there's going to be problems so having the right amount of red and white blood cells in the right ratio to each other you'd be in allostatic uh, balance and there's a, a, an unbelievable amount of chemicals that can that balance each other in your system especially like your endocrine system your hormonal system um, and a lot of them contradict each other so you know at one point in time you may have more of another more of one and then more of another that counteracts it and you're still in like allostatic balance there because the two of them are working against each other and the reason why I bring that up is that if you really get into like the the deep depths of like being an allostatic balance um, you wouldn't like attack that directly you would basically just have like a really healthy lifestyle and you if you were in allostatic balance most of the time you would have an extremely healthy efficient diet you'd have not too much work but also be productive you'd be really happy with your social relationships you'd be very pleased with your environment there wouldn't really be any like major stressors around you you wouldn't have like concerns about your basic needs so you'd have like like a pretty comfortable existence and the thought is that most of the time a hunter-gatherer geared for their environment since a lot of the hunter-gatherers we see today are actually in pretty bad environments they're in they're in environments that have a lot more scarcity to them but if you were in a a place that was very plentiful for a hunter-gatherer and you were you, you were having a good time you'd be in that allostatic balance a lot if not the vast majority of the time and you'd really only get out of it if you had like a sudden and immediate threat like a predator chasing you or falling and hurting yourself or something like that and the the reason i bring that up is is that there's a the, the thought is sort of like if you're in that allostatic balance the vast majority of your day you will naturally want to be a generally good person and if you're if you're mm. within that balance zone you feel really good your body feels really good you you have like a lot of like the chemicals responsible for like contentment and happiness and when you're in that state of mind you don't want to like steal from people you don't want to hurt people you don't want to be angry at people and um, a lot of times when we do those things to other people we have like major chemical imbalances going on in our brains and bodies so the, th the yeah thought... I mean that's the oh go ahead you can finish the up. last thing is that just that like the thought being is uh, when I say that, like, we're naturally good, it's like it in that place of, like, balance where our bodies are operating at peak efficiency, we naturally move towards what we would consider to be good behavior. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. And the, the thing is, is I'm like... I'm disagreeing with your previous... It's not but... really... Yeah, yeah, no, I, I really like... I really like the... Uh, that you've kind of zoomed in on here and added more more detail because the, to me this this perfectly elucidates the 
the difference between the abundance and scarcity mindset. Yeah. Right? When we're in allo when we're in allostatic balance, when we're in aliostasis, I think you called it. Uh we're in we're in abundance. Yeah. We've we we have everything we need. There's no again, it comes back to this risk reward thing. Like if I have everything I need, why would I do something that could get me in trouble or that would hurt somebody like that could hurt myself or my tribe or anybody else for that matter doesn't make any sense whereas you know so there obviously there are certain circumstances where we're not going to be in that state and it's very much dependent on the environment if we're and this is actually uh this kind of brings me into another topic uh with with like epigenetics for example Stop me if I've brought up this example on the podcast already because I cannot keep track of everything that I've, that we've talked about. But Neither can I, so somebody else basically, stop Basically, somebody else stop me. <laughs> it's too late. We're, I'm going. The phone lines uh, are waiting. We've got our <laughs> operators standing by. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, this, this is the idea. So they, they did a study on, of course, poor mice or lab rats poor poor fuckers where they starved them they they took a population of rats and they just starved them just like you just you just never have quite enough food and what they found this is so interesting generations later like multiple generations later they found that the descendants of those rats were significantly more likely to become obese. Uh. And the mechanism here is the environmental scarcity triggered an epigenetic change which caused the rats to be hyper-focused on food and to always whenever there was food like become more aggressive and also to eat as much as possible because that's that's what epigenes are for it's, it gives us information about how our environment has been right and so and that's what's so interesting is to bring this to a practical uh to, to how it affects us like there's a there's a the perfect example is with world war ii mm-hmm so there's literally millions of human beings who were living in dire straits, like severe scarcity, super uh, unsafe environments. And I guarantee you there have been many epigene switches going on that have been passed down to people in our generation. Oh, yeah. So so we have these behaviors and these and like so there's you know some part of us that's like oh shit i'm not safe like i'm not in a safe environment even though we're perfectly safe and that's what a lot of these different uh shamanic practices and therapies are kind of geared towards is is reaching that layer and making the switch back it's like we got to switch back from scarcity to abundance we have to realize on a deep deep biological level that we have everything we need and that's a huge part of i think why there's so much uh 
of this crazy shit going on basically i mean it's obviously it's relating to technology as well but this is i think a big part of why we are where we are yeah if you look back at an american born child and you look back 10 generations from that child i mean it's just like a history of violence and craziness and and just general like scarcity in a lot of ways i mean you know starting in europe for um for white people or africa for black people by the way maybe that's maybe that's why they've they're so much better at like music and stuff because <laughs> they're less removed from their uh from whenever they were having a better time <laughs> like better at a uh, better at cultural stuff better at entertainment stuff but well actually the it's interesting that you bring that up because there's an argument to be made uh like if we look at blues for mm-hmm. example like that came out of this really deep and horrible suffering uh from slavery and that was like one of the few ways that they could um you know hold their communities together and express their emotions and kind of but anyways yeah, but, um, the question um, would be why did it happen with them and this is a tangent but why did it happen with them and not with um the goths in rome or um you know the many many other populations of enslaved people over the course of history like why in particular did african americans have that like big musical leap from that uh from that particular experience but that's a whole nother conversation that we might have to get an actual black person on here to to talk about a bit but um the the thought being like if you're a if you're a white american kid and you go back 10 generations like there's just it's just like a horrific uh history to look at i mean you've got we've had we've been having wars since the beginning of this nation and started from coming over you know the people who immigrated to america england england wasn't sending its best people (laughs) they're murderers they're rapists they're bringing crime they're bringing disease and some i assume were good people um but yeah there's even then there was all this conflict in europe leading up to that time period like the, the fucking dark ages you know the medieval period and there's also just yeah, famine of famine like most of the people moving over was just like oh yeah we're gonna starve to death or we're gonna make this harrowing journey across the ocean where half of us the will black die death you know it's just like yeah I like mean, there's so much horror going back and and when you talk to me about uh, epigenetics it always makes me think about that like fuck man how how many of those epigenetic triggers must we have in us um, from all this? And you know, obviously, a, that's not to say that a black person wouldn't have the same sort of thing because they would have you know a very extreme trigger, um, and and so and and it would be different. It would be unique, and you know, it just makes me wonder. I hope that as we get more advanced in our understanding of genetics that we can answer some of these questions of like what 
what genes are activated in our code and you know hopefully i think that we we can we've been able to preserve dna from people from pretty significant time periods ago time lengths of time ago um yeah especially if they're if they're frozen then can pretty much do it indefinitely i'm also thinking of like egyptian mummies and stuff like that yeah so i think there's preserved dna that we can find from various places and it would it would just be so interesting and i think very um practical for our society to look at how our genes have changed over that time period because we know we know that like the general structure of the human hasn't changed much in 10,000 years so if we've got something a a strand of dna isn't it more like isn't it like yeah it's it's, it's 300,000 years but um i'm sure you could find some some pretty significant physiological changes if you went back 280,000 years um but for the most part i guess we've been getting we've been getting taller we've been getting larger yeah our pinkies are a little less heads. strong our toes are a yeah. little less pre- prehensile you know there's there's physiological changes our prefrontal cortex we've been making room yeah. for our prefrontal maybe, cortex maybe by enlarging our foreheads but uh, <laughs> but for the most part we were humans 300,000 years ago, but 10,000 years ago, we were definitely modern humans physiologically. Yeah. But genetically speaking, we might be very different based on these uh, epidemiological triggers. Epigenetic. Oh yeah. I guess epidemia. (laughs) Epidemic is what we're, epidemiology is That's what we're dealing with, uh, with Corona. Epigenetic. I think, I think epidemiology is like, studies epidemics. that use questionnaires epidemics, right? to no epidemiology god damn dude is i'm pretty sure it's like you use like questionnaires to <laughs> ask you ask people about their lifestyle and diet and stuff and like <laughs> you mean i signed us up for an interview with an epidemiologist and he's going to tell me about words and shit i was going to have him talk to us about coronavirus just kidding um yeah, it would it would just be so uh I think it would be a huge game changer for us to be able to kind of see scientifically what our uh technological and cultural advancement has done to our genetics. Yeah. I just want to go back and say what I what I just said's probably wrong, but uh <laughs> <laughs> But I'm really I'm really interested in that as well and and what fascinates me is like we can learn how to reset those triggers because we know that it's possible but it's not something that we have studied extensively from a scientific standpoint there's a lot of uh ancient practices that kind of revolve around this and but now there's like you know we're starting to combine those things with science so it'll be really interesting to see because like dude the that's completely life-changing. Yeah. If you go from scarcity to abundance, that completely changes the quality of your life experience. I mean, if we had a way it's, it's to literally actually literally night and day. make that trigger, you'd basically solve anxiety disorders. Dude, it, I mean, it happens. People have these uh, spiritual experiences, for lack of a better term, 
that trigger these changes and then they're just completely they're completely new people they're they're like uh cured basically and like you can it happens through different therapies yeah. and i'd like to try things like that some formalized um shamanistic stuff like that because i've uh, you know we'll do a whole episode on psychedelics but um you know i i haven't done ayahuasca or ibogaine but i'd like to try those i think that uh i think that they would be really beneficial to me for like uh for trauma therapy and things like that and I've also heard some good things about intravenous ketamine therapy mm. and um, and of course MDMA therapy and I'm so yeah. excited to see those come to the mainstream more because MDMA therapy is already on like phase three trials in the US so it's yeah it's it's either already basically legal or it's going to be legal soon for a trained specialist to give you mdma which is ecstasy for those who don't know and well it's it's usually ecstasy is mdma with a bunch of other shit that you don't yeah it's what people call ecstasy um but uh it's it's the it's the the trigger you know it's the actual chemical thing that that does what yeah what people are talking about with ecstasy and i know that um psilocybin therapy is working its way through those trials and now that it's becoming decriminalized in various places that it'll help with that and eventually we're going to get to the point where ayahuasca therapy ibogaine therapy ketamine therapy all this stuff is just like pretty commonplace and is used by professionals in certain situations yeah and and actually just to piggyback off that there's there's a couple things that i want to say about it the first one is that uh like just to be clear they we have found that by far and away the most important factor in in these therapies is set and yeah. setting so it's not like oh yeah you just take drugs and then you're fine like it's so it's like overwhelmingly about where the environment that you're in and what the intention is yeah. and who is guiding you through the experience that is and that's what i'm actually really excited about because you mentioned like will be performed by professionals yeah. because now there's a lot of bunk ass ayahuasca shamans random ayahuasca for example running around exactly who don't know shit about what they're talking about <laughs> they have no they have the, the practice is you know because this is something Jane that's told like me it's some passed down horror stories dude yeah exactly it's it's like the the real ayahuasca is like they it's it's like a part of an it's, ancestral yeah. lineage yeah. and it's this deep ancestral wisdom that's been passed down and held sacred by the people who are practicing it. And yeah, then you're there's not gonna, people just who's gonna just going to go like, and take a class and know how to be an ayahuascaro. Exactly. And then there's people who's just like, oh, yeah, well, I can just like charge white people a shitload of money and give them ayahuasca. And yeah, but but the thing is, is those those experiences can actually be super harmful because this like this the setting 
and the set like the set and set it's not a sacred thing it's like it, it you know there's so it's so much about the intention behind it and yeah, you're um, a fucking apartment in new york <laughs> yeah <laughs> with a bunch of strangers that's a that's a yeah, James just, was talking yeah. to me about. <laughs> I won't I won't tell the whole story. I'll have him tell it when he's on. He he, he can do it better. But yeah, it was it was just in some random room with a bunch of random people, and that's just dude. I mean, you can do that sort of thing as long as it's not that many people with something more mild, um, like a like a low dose of mushrooms or peyote or something. But you can't do that shit with ayahuasca and expect to have a good time. Yeah, and it's and and at the end of the day, like it's not just about having a good time, right? Like, what is the what is the purpose yeah. of this ceremony, right? And for a lot of people, it's to yeah. heal. Well, I think most of the people doing it that way are probably just thinking it's going to be a good time. You know, they've probably done acid some and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to take <clears throat> the next step up. Uh, or they or they've right. heard some some mumbo jumbo, <laughs> you know, um, and and don't really have a good intention going into it. And don't really understand the uh, the potency of what they're working with. So, like I said, we'll get it. We'll, we'll do a whole yeah. episode on psychedelics. But um, my main point with that was just I'm I'm excited for us to take a lot more of this stuff seriously. A lot more of this, like, um, okay, well, we've got tons of trauma from our childhoods. Almost every modern person has childhood trauma from some various thing because they the the triggers are a lot less than you would think. Um, we've got yeah. like handed down genetic trauma that we're dealing with mm-hmm. that changes our behavior, changes the way that our brains and our bodies develop. And we've also got like a cultural trauma that um, sort of makes all kinds of assumptions that are based on fear and defensiveness and scarcity and um, sort of pit pit ourselves against one another. So, mm. um, I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of approaches we can take, not just through psychedelics, but there's there's so many different um, approaches that, uh, for me, a lot of them come from our ancestral roots. You know the the spiritual traditions, the uh, the psychedelic traditions, which there was no difference. Um, between those two back then um but like a like a community coming together all these different things um they they already knew how to do it and and maybe not necessarily like the the scientific implications and all the details of why yeah not the mechanism yeah, necessarily but they knew they knew why they should do it in a lot of ways they just had a, a different kind of mythology that they they used for it so i just love that we as a society seem to be looking back a little bit more and and respecting our 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 heritage a little bit more as human beings and um and taking it seriously and not just looking around us and thinking oh yeah we're the smartest because we got a smartphone we're still just monkeys with computers (laughs) man just lemurs and nukes. <laughs> Jesus. Oh boy, lemurs with LHVs. Oh boy. All right. Well, there you go. I didn't even get to talk about the uh, the fucking Capitol riot. I was gonna goof on some people. 
yeah. Oh, yeah. Since we're on the subject of shamans, did you see the the quote-unquote shaman from that? No. <laughs> That's the only thing I'll say. They call him the QAnon shaman. And <laughs> oh, my. No. <laughs> no. He wore, like, a buffalo hat, like a, like a fur Viking horn cap. <laughs> he had no shirt on, and he had his face painted red, white, and blue. Oh, man, it was... That guy was something else. And, um... Yeah, that, that's all I'll say on that, but, uh... Goofballs. I just thought it was really funny that one of them called himself a shaman. Yeah, that is rather comical. Mm. So, everybody... Thank you so much for tuning in. We love you. We'll see you in a week. See you later, everybody. Hey, you made it. Congratulations and thank you for making it all the way through yet another episode. If you would like to support Casual Cognition, be sure to check out the show notes for various ways that you can do so. Things like sharing with a friend, following us on Instagram, rating us on Apple Podcasts, etc. will only take you a few moments, and it means the world to us. Any and all support is much appreciated. Thank you so much. We hope you have a nice day, afternoon, evening, whenever you might be listening to this, and we'll catch you next time.